Hello, good morning, everybody. How are we this morning? All right, just all right. I heard all right. Are we good this morning or what's the deal? We're in the house of the Lord. We're about to, we're about to worship. We're about to praise God. Are we not excited for that? Oh, you could do better than that. Come on. Are you not excited this morning? All right, that'll do. We're going we're gonna to get into worship. Uh, so why don't you, you just stand as we're going we're gonna to praise the Lord this morning. We'll give him uh, everything we've got that we would just focus in that no matter what it is you might be carrying today, that you would just uh, focus in on God this morning, that we would worship him with, with all that we've got. Here we go. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise when the darkness closes in Lord still I will say blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your name blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, you give and take away. You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name You give and take away You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And blessed be your glorious name. someone next to you, welcome them, and then find your way to your seat. All right, you may be seated. 
Well, it is so good to see everyone here this morning. I hope that you're enjoying the awesome weather that this weekend has brought with us. Uh, Just a few quick announcements. If you are new here, first of all, welcome. We are so glad you are here, whether joining us in person or online. But if you are here in person and this is your first time, in the chair in front of you, there will be a connection card that you can fill out because we want to walk alongside you and help you in any way that we can. So if you fill out that card, Put it in the offering plate or submit it to uh, the information desk at the back there. You will get a free gift uh, from our church on, uh, for, for you uh, on your way out. And so please feel free to fill that out if you are new, and we would love to be able to help you and contact you in any way that we can. So this morning is our youth lunch. And I, first of all, I just want to say thank you to each and every person who has prepaid for this lunch and has helped send our students to junior high convention this coming uh, November in the, ne- in the next week. Uh, we have raised enough money to be able to send all the students who have signed up to go for free. So we have covered that cost for them. It is a huge blessing. So thank you, everyone, for participating in that. Now, just so you know, we have gathered enough supplies for all the meals that were prepaid. Uh, we are, unfortunately can't take walk-in meals, so if you try to pay for a meal this morning, we won't have enough uh, for you. But that's okay, because uh, we will do more in the future for our students to, to help uh, raise funds to go to events like these. So thank you for all who participated. After service, if you ordered a lunch, you can exit out this door here, go up to Stewart Hall and receive your meal. You can eat in Stewart Hall or you can take it with you, whatever you wish to do, whatever fits your plans most. Uh, and we have a team working hard, a mix of uh, young adults and students preparing your lunch as we speak. So thank you all for, for, for giving to that. Uh, our students are very, very appreciative. So at this point in time, kids, JK to grade 5, you are dismissed to go. Have a great morning in Kids Church. And ushers, I invite you forward to collect our morning tithes and offerings. And Andrew, I'll turn it back to you and the team.
exalted one, Jesus. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit like water to my soul. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit like water to my soul. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. Praise we could ever bring. 
worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. the name above every other name oh, Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you for the nail-pierced hands. 
cleansing flow now all I know your forgiveness and embrace worthy is the lamb seated on the throne crown you now with many crowns you reign victorious and high and lifted up oh Jesus son of God the darling of heaven crucified worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb and thank you for the cross Lord Thank you for the price you paid Bearing all my sin and shame In love you came And gave amazing grace oh, Thank you for this love, Thank you for the nail-pierced hands Washed me in your cleansing flow Now all I know Your forgiveness and embrace Worthy is the darling of heaven crucified oh, worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb worthy is the for how, how worthy you are of our praise, God. Lord, that you, you don't fail us, that you don't forsake us, that you don't abandon us. 
and that you are, are worthy of, of every song that we could bring, every breath that we could breathe, that, that we would live for you, God. That you are worthy of, of everything that we can bring and, and even more, God. That there's not enough of words that we can express to, to fully uh, realize just how awesome you are. So God, would you just be reminded of that this morning, that you are, are worthy of, of all our praise, of all our worship, of all our dedication, God, that, that in our lives, that in every area, it would all be worship unto you, that it would all be an offering to you, that it would all be in service of you, God. So thank you, Lord, for, for how amazing you have blessed us, God, for, for the breath that's in our lungs, God for the blessings all around us that we might not even see in a day, but, but you continue to be there for us. You are faithful through it all. So God, as we are gathered here this morning, Lord, as, as we are tuning in online, watching this morning, God, Lord, would we posture our hearts to you, God? Would we open ourselves to you, to what your spirit might be doing, God? The Lord, as Pastor Shannon brings the word, God, that we would just continue to, to, to focus in on you, Lord. That you would speak to us today, that whatever it is you might be saying, God, that we would be receptive to what you might be doing. So thank you again just for the privilege that we have to be able to gather and, and to watch, Lord, that we can have this service, God. That we can be amongst your people and that we can meet with you, Lord, this morning. So just continue to have your hand on, on uh, every aspect of the service, Lord. Would you just have your way in this place and in our hearts, God. In your wonderful, mighty name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 5. In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of, his, of the palace. And From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. Andrew, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. I'm not one who likes to uh, go inside a store very often. I'm more of a hunter. I just kind of go in, get what I need, and I get out. But once in a while, Jennifer and I will, will go to a, to a place together where there's mutual interest. And this week was one of those weeks where we, we went to a store that kind of focused on hobby slash, you know, craft slash decor kind of stuff, and we just spent considerable time apart wandering the areas that were of interest to us. And then 
at the end, I came back to the cash with nothing, and Jen pulled up her cart. And uh, so we're, we're, we're checking it through, and I'm on the front of the cart, so I'm, I'm putting it all up on the cart, and the guy says how much it is, and, and uh, so I, I'm paying for it. And the guy behind us, thinking he was funny, uh, made the comment, I see it works the same with you as it does with my wife and I, that she picks it all up and, and I and you pay for it. I thought, oh dear. Jennifer turned and said, we are paying for it with our money. <laughs> now, he had that look. Wives know the look better than men because we can't see ourselves. But it's that look when we really know we're in trouble and there's this fear that, that comes. And he had that look and he was looking at me to say, bro, like save me here. And I, and I out loud said, I can't save you. I, I can't help you here. Like you're completely on your own uh, with this. Now there are moments where we say things or we do things. Some of them are somewhat minor, although they probably, like that, reflect a bigger attitude and understanding. But sometimes they're minor things, and sometimes they're really important, serious things. We say and, and we do, and, and we realize after that, that that was wrong, that what we did was wrong, and what we, what we said was wrong. And what I really value about Scripture is that Scripture doesn't pretend that God's people, God's chosen ones, God's appointed leaders were perfect or flawless or were without any level of human error. That Scripture is very open to showing us the failures, the choices, and the downside of, of certain action and behavior. And so, today we're continuing our fall sermon series entitled Heart for God, based on the life of David, who is referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. I went too far ahead there. We have reached a point now in the life of David where this man after God's own heart begins to behave in ways that are contrary to this description. All of a sudden, he begins to make choices. All of a sudden, he begins to do things that are contrary to what one who would have a heart for God would do or how they would act, doing things that would violate the heart of God. And it's interesting because it's at this point in the story that he's about 50 years old, and he's been the king for about 20 years now. And God has been faithful to him, leading him, uh, you know, as, as he promised he would, empowering him as he promised he would. D and David's life, as he looks back over the 20 years of kingly leadership and, and all of his life, he can look back and see that his life is rife with victories because of his trust in God. Yet somehow, at this point, at this moment in his life, somehow all of this is not enough. And so today we're going to be considering David and Bathsheba, and today we will be reminded 
that having a heart for God means acknowledging our sins, acknowledging those moments when our behavior is not appropriate, and responding to accountability with repentance. So we can learn things from the good things of the people's lives in Scripture, but we can also learn things from the choices and downside of people's lives in Scripture, and that's what we'll be doing today. The first thing I want to consider is wrong place at the wrong time. I keep turning around because our monitor up there is not working. Uh, not that I can actually ever see it, but it's not working today, and so I, I, that's why I'm looking behind. Our scripture today begins with some informative details. We're told it's spring, and spring is a time when kings go off to war. Well, why do they go off in the spring? Well, likely because winter in this location was the rainy season. And during the rainy season, things were very muddy. And warfare at that time leaned heavily on carts and chariots. And so moving them around in muddy terrain would have been difficult. And so spring was an ideal time to move people and equipment. Israel's army was engaged in a war, we're told, against the Ammonites. And usually, when nations went out to war, they were led, or at least accompanied, by their king. Remember so many stories, as we've looked at already, that Saul was present on the battleground with his troops. In fact, last week we referred to him taking his own life, and he took his life on the battleground. That was very common to either lead or be present with your troops when they were fighting. But for some reason, David decided not to lead or accompany his army into battle. Instead, we're told he sent Joab to lead them, and and he stayed home. And on one evening, David couldn't sleep. It was common for the king's bedroom to be on the top of the palace with a private walkout so he could see and look out over the entire city without being seen himself. And on this particular evening, he saw a woman, Bathsheba, and she was bathing. Now, if I were doing the translation from the Hebrew to the English, that little bracket that tells us why she was purifying herself should come after the sentence that tells us she was bathing, because that's where the idea belongs. We're told that she's purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, because according to Old Testament law, a woman was deemed unclean during her monthly menstrual cycle. And as part of the ceremonial cleansing rituals as in their faith, At the end of her monthly period, she would bathe in a special bath, symbolizing that she was now clean once again. So she wasn't randomly exposing herself inappropriately on the rooftop. It's likely where the necessary bath was actually located in her house. It would have been veiled from other people, because their balconies wouldn't have been higher than hers. The only person who could see it would be the king. And we're told that she was beautiful and that David was intrigued by her. In fact, David lusted after her, and so he sent someone out to find out about her. And the report came back of who she was, that she was a married woman, that who her father was, and that she was married to a man named Uriah, who incidentally was presently fighting 
with Joab and Israel's army on David's behalf. And so David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been leading his army in the war against the Ammonites, but instead he's on the rooftop of the palace and he's violating the privacy of one of his subjects. Second thing, two wrongs don't make a right. Despite finding out that she was already married, David sent for her anyway. I'm just, this is just for free. What I find interesting as I'm researching this, and I, I've known the story since I was eight years old, but in freshly researching this story, it's, it's interesting to me how many pro, high-profile religious leaders put the blame here on Bathsheba. <laughs> as if she's trying to entice someone by, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just a mentality that's, but that's not what this story suggests at all. She's a married woman, and he sent for her anyway. And a few chapters earlier, we're told that David actually added to his entourage more wives and more concubines. In the end, we know of at least eight wives that David had. I mean, that's another whole sermon, right? Eight wives there, and so many concubines. This is obviously, he doesn't need to do this. And when the man from the palace showed up at her house, they showed up with a directive from the king. Bathsheba wouldn't have had any choice in this matter. The king's entourage has shown up and she's being summoned to the palace. There's, there's no indication that she ever wanted this to happen. He was the king. He had power over her. She had no choice but comply to his wishes. You don't say no to the king if you do then bad things happen. You could be killed. Your family could be killed. And so she came to the palace, and we're told that David slept with her. He committed adultery with her, and then she went home. And we're told as a result, she became pregnant, and she sent word back to David of her pregnancy. And there's, this is complicated because her husband is away. How would someone explain this pregnancy? And so upon receiving the news, David's immediate concern was not about his sin, but rather how this would reflect on him. He didn't want people to know the truth. He wanted to protect himself and cover it up, so he devised the plan. And so plan A was, okay, no problem. We'll bring Bathsheba's husband Uriah home, He'll sleep with his wife, and everyone will think, and it will appear as if he's the father of the child, and it will take attention off of David. Plan A, good plan. But there's a problem. Uriah was loyal. Uriah had integrity. He's loyal to David. He's loyal to his fellow soldiers who are out on the front lines. He probably doesn't understand, why do I get, home, get to come home and be with my wife and eat home-cooked meals and sleep in my own bed when they're out there? And he's like, I can't be a part of that. I appreciate that I'm being brought back. But, you know, so he refused to go home. And so he didn't go home to be with his wife because that would have been unfair to the others. And so David is now facing a failed plan A, and now he, you know, he... he he just quickly stumbles into plan B. He needed to dispose of Uriah, so he sent word to Joab and told him 
to put Uriah on the front line of battle and ensure that he was in a position that he would be killed in battle. And so Joab did as the king commanded. And Uriah was killed in battle. And we're told that following that, David took Bathsheba to be his wife. No one would ever know the truth. And so here we are now, David is guilty of adultery and also murder, two wrongs that did not make a right. Thirdly, in the story, we see righting the wrong, righting a wrong. When Bathsheba received the news of her husband's death, it says she mourned for him. Well, of course she did. And when her time of mourning had ended, David sent for her again, and she became his wife. Again, I'm not sure how much choice there was in that. In contrast, David comes off as cold and calculated, lacking any remorse or emotion. Because when you read 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's just the facts. It's recording of facts. But, but Psalm 38 gives us an insight to what David was going through. And as he reflected back on it, how he felt. It's, it's like reading his journal. And we get impacted we get insight into the impact of the sin and the guilt that he's wrestling with. And here's some of the things that Psalm 38 tells us. It tells us he was overwhelmed with the guilt of his sin. He didn't feel cold and disconnected from it. He was overwhelmed by it. He, he said that it pierced him. Not just, it wasn't just surface emotion, but it went deep inside his being. He couldn't enjoy life anymore. He was a prisoner to his guilt he lacked peace. He, he was at the breaking point because of the consequences of his sin. He was overwhelmed. The burden of his guilt was too heavy to bear, and he was impacting, it was impacting him mentally and spiritually and physically. He was the king. People bowed down to him, yet he was brought down lower, and he was humbled, and that's how he was feeling. His days were filled with mourning for his losses. He had lost his integrity. He had lost his reputation. It had, had impacted his relationship with God. It resulted in the death of an innocent man. And his heart was filled with anguish. And friends, he says, are avoiding him. And light had gone out of his eyes. The impact of David's guilt was significant. It brought him to the breaking point and he couldn't bear it any longer. So he was feeling the impact of it. And Psalm 38 gives us that, whim, that, that window and in, insight into what he was experiencing. But I want us to see that God didn't leave David drowning in his guilt. He responded to David in accountability and restoration through the prophet Nathan. When Nathan arrived, he shared a parable with David and David actually thought it was a real story he was telling him. And Nathan said, you know, King, there were two, there's two men, and one, of, one is rich and the other is poor, and the rich man has a large number of sheep and cattle. And in contrast, this poor man, all he had was just this one lamb. And he had raised it, and it had grown up with his children. It had shared their food and, and their drink. It slept in his arms like a child. This lamb was loved dearly. And the rich man had a visitor come and a meal was prepared. And instead of taking one of his own, 
the many sheep or cattle that he had for the meal, the rich man took the poor man's lamb and prepared it instead. Well, hearing this story, David became so angry. He said, this rich man, he deserves to die. How could someone lack such pity? How could someone care so much only about themselves? How could someone be that selfish? He deserves to die for that. And legally, he needs to repay that man four times much. And Nathan looked at David, the king, and said, You are that man. You are that man. The Lord says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from Saul. I gave you all this wealth and everything that you have. David, I blessed you. I believed in you. I gave you an opportunity and a privilege, and you have sinned against me. You stole another man's wife, and you killed an innocent man to cover your wrongs. You think you have a secret, but but you don't. God knows what you did. And David responded, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to him, David, God has taken your sin away. The law requires that you be stoned to death for adultery, but God says you won't die. But sin has consequences. And this will impact you. And it will impact your family. And the child born to Bathsheba, we're told, died shortly after birth. And in fact, next week we'll see how David's sin in this incident created a domino effect of dysfunction in his family. David received God's grace. He was restored by God because he admitted he was wrong. He saw what he did and admitted that it was wrong, and he sought forgiveness and then took the action to do all he could do in an attempt as best he could to right the wrong. So what are some lessons that we can learn from here? First thing I want to talk about is power. David's treatment of Bathsheba is a classic example of abuse of power. It's a classic example of abuse of power. Abuse of power is defined as, and I I should have this on the screen, but I don't. It's the misuse of of a position of power to take unjust advantage of an individual or a group. A misuse of a position of power to take unjust advantage of an individual or or group. David used his position of power as a king to force the participation of another man's wife in an act that he knew was wrong to satisfy his own lust. Now, sadly, abuse of power is something that we witness every day of our lives in so many different arenas. We witness it in marriages and in families, where someone in a marital situation or a family situation is deemed to be the more powerful in the family, and there is control, and there is, there is abuse, and when someone wants to speak up or move 
Out of that, there are threats in terms of, well, you know, it'll affect you financially, or you'll have nowhere to go, or you'll never get the kids, or you can't be a part of this family anymore. And they use their position of power to control and to manipulate, and we see that in marriages and families all the time. We see it in churches. And we've seen recently, and we've seen it not just recently, but in recent times, we have seen where all of a sudden we're beginning to call it what it is when we're seeing clergy members who are sexually involved with members of their congregation, and it's not just the transgression, if there's such a word as just, of inappropriate sexual activity, but the fact that they're in a position of power over those individuals is influencing the situation and it's being called out and we're seeing it and there was just another one this week on the other side of the country and we've seen it within our areas and we see it all around all the time. It happens in churches too where people in positions of power. I had a former student who once was pastoring a small church and the, a member of the board who was very powerful, was the treasurer, didn't want the, him to be the pastor anymore. And he, was, he didn't want to give up. He didn't feel his time was done. And the treasurer knew who all the givers were and went to each of those givers individually and devised a plan to stop giving temporarily to starve him out the door. That's abuse of power in the church. It's sad. It happens in workplaces. And it happens a lot in workplace places because people find themselves in leadership roles that they're not prepared for. They don't know how to be good leaders and the only way they know how to do what they think their job is is to abuse the people around them. And so, so many people are struggling in their jobs because of how they're being treated and the things that are being said to them and the things that, that are being done. It happens there. It happens in schools. And so often... You know, we see in the news of a teacher who has an inappropriate relationship with a student. It's an abuse of power. We see it in the government. Abuse of power. Abuse of power can be psychological. It can be physical or financial. It can be sexual or emotional. Because abuse of power is driven by a desire for personal gain, personal gratification, to diminish another person, to control another person. And Jesus called out the religious leaders of his time for their abuse of power and the impact it was having on the people because, folks, there is no room for abuse of power in the life of a follower of Jesus. There's, there's no room for it. There's no room for abuse of power in his church. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8, we read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking on your own interests, but each of you on the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is no room for abuse of power in the life of a follower of Jesus, in the marriage of a follower of Jesus, in the family of a follower of Jesus, in the workplace, in the school, in the church. There's no room for abuse of power in his church. Secondly, accountability. There was a time when people took more responsibility for each other, I I think, when I was growing up. We were more involved in each other's lives, and that might have been a little bit of meddling going on, no doubt, but, uh, you know, if you got in trouble at your parents, your, your friend's house, like, you could still get in a lot of trouble. For the most part, we now live in a none of your business culture, just kind of turn away. People tend to look away to not get involved. It's not my problem. It's none of my business. We see that in churches all the time. Let's just leave well enough alone. If there was ever a time when we needed accountability, you know, it's something we've always needed and we need it today. We need people in our lives, and I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more. We need people in our lives that care enough about us to speak truth into our lives. But also that comes with the fact that it takes trust and relationship. The right to be heard has to be earned. And I do like the quote, with some, and I don't know who, who I can give credit to for it, but it says this, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. I like that because that's true. If I receive criticism, I wonder, would I go to them for advice? Well, no, then maybe I don't want to go to them for criticism either. We must strive to become people whose opinions matter. We must strive to become people whose concerns are heard. We must strive to become people who care more about the person that we are speaking to than the rejection we might receive or our own agenda in the whole process. We earn our right to be the kind of people who speak into the lives of other people. And if there are people in our lives who care enough about us to risk confronting us with the truth, thinking that it may be the end of our relationship, it's really uncomfortable and it's awkward, if we have those people in our lives that love us that much, that care enough about us to risk confronting us with the truth, that will ultimately be for our benefit, then we need to value people like that and we need to surround ourselves with people like that and we need to listen to people like that. We all need a Nathan in our lives. Someone who is willing to take a great risk to protect us from sinful and selfish destruction. To help us see when we've erred. To point us to repentance who has earned the right to hold us accountable. Accountability is important. Without accountability, I don't know where David would have ended up. And thirdly, repentance. David's repentance and God's grace in response lifted David's burden of guilt and restored him in his relationship with God. But repentance is more than feeling sorry. Repentance is more than expressing even and admitting remorse. Both of those things are critically important and are necessary in the whole process of forgiveness and restoration 
But remember, repentance literally means change, walking a new road, changing one's life, being changed to live different. So yes, we feel sorry, and yes, we admit wrong, but then we must change for true repentance to have taken place. And so if we've made poor choices, if we've hurt others and and ourselves, if we are sincerely sorry for what we've done and we want to begin the process of restoring our relationship and trust, we must be repentant. Now, sadly, not everyone responds as quickly in repentance as David did when confronted by Nathan. What a wonderful world it would be if we had people in our lives that cared enough about us to hold us accountable, and when they did, rather than deflecting, we admitted the truth and dealt with the issue. But sadly, most people don't respond like that. Often we observe in others, and let's be honest, sometimes we observe in ourselves as well, that when confronted, we we justify our behavior, or we deny our behavior and attempt to protect ourselves. We don't want to be held accountable. We don't want to admit or change. And so sometimes we respond and we see people responding by what's known as gaslighting an individual, by trying to cause them to doubt or be confused about about what they're seeing and experiencing and questioning that so they doubt themselves so that you can, can be protected. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes the response is discrediting the character of the person who's holding us accountable. Because if we can discredit the person speaking the truth, then, then we can elevate our own credibility. And we see this all the time as well. It's dysfunctional behavior. Not to mention arrogant. Rejecting the opinions and ideas of others. Seeing them as lesser than our own perspectives. And so humility, and we read that about Jesus, humility is so key, and humility drives repentance, and repentance is the true mark of having a heart for God. Not just feeling and expressing remorse, but being willing to change behavior. I'm going to invite the worship team back. Now just in conclusion this morning, as we look at the life of David and this major you know, flaw in his history and in his life, we learn that there is no room for abuse of power in the life of a follower of Jesus, and there's no room for abuse of power in his church. If there was ever a time that we needed accountability, it's today. We need people in our lives to care enough about us to speak truth into our lives. And humility drives repentance, and repentance is the mark. Having a heart for God means acknowledging our sins and responding to accountability with repentance. I'm going to invite you to stand with me today. And I have no doubt this morning that there are some here or watching online. And as we are talking this morning, you can say, you know what, what you talked about is really what's going on in my life right now. That, that maybe you're someone who feels like you are on the wrong end of the abuse of power. You're on the, the destructive end of that and, and there's harm in your life and you're trying to process what to do with that. 
And I believe as we always do, we always invite the Holy Spirit to come in these moments and guide us and lead us and help us to respond and act and decide in a God-honoring way of what to do with that reality. Some of you may be here today and you uncomfortably recognize that, that there are things in your own life that you need to own, that you need to you know, come clean on, that you need to, to acknowledge. And there may be someone that you need to seek forgiveness from, someone you need to admit wrong to, someone you need to, um, you know, just, just acknowledge that what you did hurt them and, and acknowledge that and, and show a willingness to change. And so I believe that the story of David helps us with all of those things today. And the Holy Spirit helps us with all of those things today. And each of us is different, and we each have our own stories, and we've each gotten here on different roads, even though there's things we all have in common. Our lives are very different, and I don't know what it is for you, and you don't know what it is for me, but, but we know these things. That, but God, by His Spirit, will help us to navigate these things if we allow Him to. Because not navigating them is more dangerous and more harmful than admitting and acknowledging and working through it and moving on in the right way. I'm going to invite Andrew and the team to lead us this morning. And as we do, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, I'm going to slip down to the front here. And if you'd like to come for prayer, then uh, I'd be happy to pray with you before we conclude the service this morning. Andrew, would you lead us? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to feel, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. And the Lord has promised good to me, His word, my hope, secure. Long as life 
God, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. Called me here below will be forever mine. Oh, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a sea reigns unending love amazing grace my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Oh, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing Amen. 
Jesus this morning. We're so encouraged when we hear of and experience your unending love and your amazing grace. When it floods down over our lives in a way that we can't even begin to understand. As you've responded into our lives when we feel so unworthy at times. That you value us and you show us mercy and grace. And I pray for those this morning who are here or who are watching that find themselves in very difficult circumstances. I pray that you would lead them by your spirit. You would give them your wisdom and you would help them to make the decisions and to take the steps that they need to take. We pray for those today who have been felt the convicting of your spirit in their own lives, of their own words and their own actions and behaviors. And I pray that they would take steps towards changing and admitting, changing, seeking forgiveness, offering forgiveness, Lord, this morning. Lord, sometimes it's difficult for us to come to grips with these realities. It's easier for us to brush them aside and, and want to focus on other more uplifting things. But Lord, we, we recognize today that we can't just look at the celebrations in the life of David without considering his failures. That we can learn from both and be reminded today that if David could fail so miserably and still have an opportunity with you, then, then so can we. And Lord, today we pray for those who are not able to be here. Thank you for Edith today, and I know in seeing her this week and likely watching this morning, she told me she wishes she could be here more than anything. She could just come inside this building on a Sunday morning and be here with us. And I thank you that you are with her right there, with her family. And I pray for your continued peace and your continued strength and comfort for her. And God, we pray for Joe Pollock today in the hospital as well. We pray for your touch upon his life, strength for him and for Sophie and their family. And God, for others who are not able to be here today that need your touch and those in this room who have needs that are not even being expressed, God, would you come alongside and minister to each one today? Lord, as we leave this place, may we be determined to learn from the lives of those who've made mistakes that we read of in Scripture and determine in our hearts to live differently, to be different, to show your love, your care, your humility to all those around us. Thank you that we could be here today. Work in our lives and in our families, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I probably don't need to remind you of this, but if you bought dinner, it's upstairs.